Thank you, Lisa. That was beautiful. Well, good morning. Good. We are entering into our time of extended Advent, as mentioned by Joel this morning. And I don't know about you, I was joking with some people at the beginning. I have, we've been in this rhythm for a couple of years where we don't have Advent for four weeks. We do Advent for about eight. And I have really enjoyed it because Advent is a time of waiting, a time of anticipation. And I don't know about you, but when we were doing Advent in four weeks, there was no waiting or anticipation. It felt like pedal to the metal, and we're in the holidays, and we're all in. And since we've done this eight-week rhythm, there seems to be space and time to really anticipate and to think about our God and his plan and what he is about and our Savior as well. So we are moving into the holidays a little bit early. Now, I don't know about you, but in, for the holidays in our family, one of the favorite things that we do is we will re-watch or re-read some of those um, epic sagas, like our favorite ones, like Star Wars. I'm going to be nerding out now. Um, the Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. Those are some of our favorites. These are great stories, grand stories, epic stories about good versus evil, deliverance and suffering, slavery and freedom and victory amidst almost certain defeat. And I've noticed that these epic stories have some similarities in their storyline. You have this unknown kind of unexpected hero who confronts this this grand evil. And then there's an element of redemption where the slaves are freed or the helpless is, is helped. And then at the end, there's restoration of life and order. So in The Hobbit, for example, we have Bilbo, who's that unexpected hero who doesn't like adventures, but is drawn into a conflict against evil manifested in the dragon smog. And Bilbo is attempting to free the dwarves from their homelessness and their wandering. And there's victory and a journey back to the promised land, the Shire where Bilbo lives. So we see this in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo, Sauron, Middle-earth, Return of the King. We see it in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, the evil empire, the rebellion, the Death Star exploding. The hero is revealed, evil is confronted and defeated, the helpless are redeemed, and there's restoration. And these stories, they tug at us because they reflect something that is deeply true and real. In some ways, they echo the real and true story that we are looking at today. It's the epic story of the Exodus, the epic story where God is revealed, evil is defeated, the helpless are redeemed, and there's restoration. 
It is a story of God's people being freed from enslavement in Egypt. So our passage this morning is from Exodus 15. This is a hymn of praise to God. And it's the first hymn of praise that is recorded in the Bible. And it's sung by Moses and the Israelites after they have crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and Pharaoh's army has been hurled into that sea. Hear this hymn of praise to our Lord, who was and is and is to come. Exodus 15, we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army, he is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you, you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling, and the people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns. 
forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Father, what a hymn of praise to you. What a majestic picture of you, of your works, your power, your justice, your mercy and care. So much in this one hymn. Grant us your wisdom and your presence so that this passage, Lord, becomes more than just words on a page or a story in a book. Guide us by your mercy and care, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that is an epic hymn for an epic story revealing our epic God. So let's get into it. So the four sections of this hymn is what I alluded to earlier. We have a hero who is revealed. We have evil that is confronted. We have the helpless, the enslaved, redeemed. And we have restoration of God's presence. Those are the four sections of this hymn. And it gives a glimpse into the story in which this hymn drops in. So let's look at verses one through three. If you have your Bible, that's going to be helpful because we are going to be going through this hymn. In verses one through three, we have the hero revealed. And God is the hero. God is the covenant keeper. In verse two, it says, my father's God, I will exalt him. Which fathers are we talking about? We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Exodus 2.23, it says, the people groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, their father, and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and was concerned about them. So here we have a warrior and a champion who remembers his promises. And in this story, the name of the Lord the name of this hero, this name of this champion is revealed. In Exodus 3.14, Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. This covenant-keeping hero will be known to his people by name. His name reveals his character. Self-existent, creator, sustainer of all. No beginning, no end. I mean, this is a sermon series all in itself. But suffice it to say that God wants to be known by his people. Known by name. 
the hero is revealed. Now in verses 4 through 12, we see how our hero confronts evil. And this evil is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is opposed to God. He is absolutely against God. This new ruler forgot about the blessing that was brought to his land through the people of Israel, through God, through Joseph. They were sustained through a famine by the gift of God's wisdom. And as the Israelites remained in Egypt, God blessed them. That blessing, that covenant promise that had been given to to, uh, Abraham that they would be fruitful and they would multiply, that happened in Egypt. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. The blessing of God for his people. But that blessing, that very blessing for the Israelites was a source of fear for Pharaoh. And it justified for him oppression. So side note, for those who are opposed to God, blessings become a curse. They become judgment. So when Moses comes to Pharaoh with God's request, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I won't let Israel go. Nine plagues later, Nile to blood, frogs, gnats, livestock die, skin boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Pharaoh is still arrogant and opposes God, and God is making himself known. All of those plagues show that God is supreme over these, the Egyptian gods that supposedly offered protection over these areas. God was making himself known and was confronting evil. And even after the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh and his leaders changed their minds and they pursued the fleeing Israelites. What is this that we have done? that we let Israel go from serving us. Exodus 14, 5. Side note, the forces of evil do not easily let go of their slaves. And then this hymn in verse 9 describes the brutal arrogance of God's enemy, boasting pursuit and victory, and destruction, absolute annihilation of God's people. But God prevails. Our hero wins. In God's final act of throwing the opposition is described and celebrated, hurling Pharaoh's chariots and army into the sea. His anger is unleashed, His breath controls the sea. His right hand controls the earth. He is majestic in holiness and awesome in glory.
the God of all creation, made it such that the waters of the Red Sea that opened up life for the Israelites were the means of death for the Egyptians. Evil is confronted and defeated by our hero. And in the midst of this conflict, the enslaved are redeemed. Verses 13 through 16. God redeems his people and he frees them from slavery. He leads his people that he redeemed. The people that he bought. So what does it mean that he bought them? That he redeemed them? Well, this goes back to Exodus 12 and the Passover and that 10th plague. The Lord says to Moses, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. Every man shall take a lamb and you shall keep it until the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel kill their lambs. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And when you come to the land of the Lord, come to the land the Lord will give you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. By the blood of the lamb, the Israelites were marked for mercy. And the angel of death passed over their homes as God prepared them for life with him. Restoration, God's dwelling, life with God, that is what we glimpse in verses 17 through 18. God doesn't just deliver them from slavery. He brings them into freedom, into life which is only found in him, in God, in God's presence. Now it's foreshadowed in this hymn in verse 17. God brings his people, plants his people into his sanctuary, his dwelling, which is his presence. Exodus 29, 46, it says, they will know I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. So the next half of the book of Exodus describes how the divine presence, how God's divine presence becomes the central feature of the Israelites' life, of their existence, even as he brings them into the promised land. So we have the Ten Commandments, we have the rules for worship, and we have the building of the tabernacle, which is where God will dwell amidst the Israelites. But in this epic journey, it quickly becomes apparent that God's people 
are still slaves. They were still in bondage. Now the external pressures of the Egyptian slavery, they were gone. But there was another bondage holding on to them that was really powerful, such that they could not, would not trust their hero. Right before singing this song in the, the hymn that we're looking at, in Exodus 14 it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And after this huge victory, the Israelites spent three days in the wilderness and they got thirsty. And they found some water, but it was bitter water at a place called Mara. And they grumbled. They grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against God. They didn't believe in their hero anymore. And even later, they chose to exchange the presence of their deliverer, of their champion, for a golden calf. So this incredibly victorious and glorious hymn is embedded in a story where God's holiness and man's sinfulness is still at odds. God dwells amidst his people, but he's separate. And God's people struggle with trusting their hero as evidenced in their faithless grumbling and outright rebellion. And even Moses, God's faithful servant, ends up stumbling. So we are left questioning, anticipating something more. It seems there is another battle brewing, further revelation of our, of our hero, and a deeper evil to be confronted. This story is pointing us to Christ in whom all things hold together. So in Christ, the name of our hero, not only the name of the hero is revealed, but God is fully revealed. God incarnate, God in flesh, God in person is seen. Colossians 1.18, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in Christ, not only is evil thrown down, it is completely disarmed. Colossians 2.15, Christ disarming the rulers and authorities, he made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them on the cross. And in Christ, the redemption through the blood of the Lamb that was repeated year after year after the Exodus is completed once for all in Christ. In Colossians 2.14, Christ has forgiven 
all of our trespasses. He has canceled the record of debt that stood against us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It's finished. And in Christ, the fullness of God dwells. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is good news that is for all people. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, bringing peace and reconciliation. God entered human history fully and completely in Jesus. And in Advent, we celebrate how all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And in Advent, we anticipate the fulfillment of his kingdom when he comes again. And until that time, we journey with our hero. We journey with our champion who dwells with us. So this Exodus story that we've touched on, it's an archetypal story. It's a, it's a pattern of a story of deliverance from oppression into dwelling in fellowship. It is a pattern that we see again and again. We see it in David's story, in the story of the exile. We see it in the life of Jesus, and we see it in our own lives and in our own story. This is why the epic myths grab us and reach us because we know we are a helpless people in need of a hero. The Exodus story is our story and Christ is our champion. He is our hero who disarmed evil and redeemed us through his own blood. He dwells with us now as we journey through the wilderness toward the promised land. We live in the tension of the already but not yet. We receive deliverance, but we still struggle and fail in our journey. And as long as we are in this broken and bent world, we will experience sin and suffering. And our only response, our only hope is to cling more closely to our God who dwells with us, to walk in step with our hero. He invites us to journey with him and he invites us to eat at his table. This is manna in the desert and this is living water in the wasteland. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, you are our champion.
disarming the evil powers and redeeming your own, redeeming us. You are our strength and our defense. You are our salvation, and we we need you. Encourage us with your presence in this journey and nourish us this morning at your table so that you may become known and honored as our hero and champion by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in your name we pray. Amen.